Rush hour in Paris can be a challenge for visitors and residents alike. We have 11 million people, you know, living there, all one on top of each other. So when you go into the metro, I mean, they're rude to me. I'm rude back. Coming up, we examine what's behind the reputation of the rude Parisian. When Fred Plotkin goes to Paris, he avoids the crush by ambling through its neighborhoods with no particular plan in mind. He suggests you try it too. You don't have to have a checklist of destinations, but what you want to do is come home with memories that are unique to you. And for a different flavor of France, get to know the Alsace region, where Germany and France mix it up. You can almost walk outside of Strasbourg to get to Germany. It's where they soak their sauerkraut in wine and serve something called a tart flambe. It looks like a pizza on which you have cream, onions, and bacon strips. Tips for making yourself at home in Paris and a getaway to Alsace. It's just ahead on Travel with Rick Steves. Bonjour. On Travel with Rick Steves, you've heard about the magic words that get you started on the right foot when you want to begin a conversation in France. Coming up, a guide from Paris explains how to avoid typical American faux pas to help you fit right in. And he explains how, for all its romance, sometimes you have to accept that Paris struggles with the same issues as any big capital city. We'll contrast that with a look at the Alsace region in the east of France. It's the crossover point for French and German cultures where you'll find charming towns, pastoral countryside, important historical sites, and really good food and wine. Let's start out the hour with a fresh look at Paris, the way one of our favorite travelers recommends. Fred Plotkin's known for his discerning palate. He's written The Indispensable Guides, Italy for the Gourmet Traveler, and Opera 101. Fred leads occasional tours in Europe, and in between assignments, gets to uncover the delights of the continent on his own. Recently, he found that Paris is meant to be savored on foot. Bonjour, Fred. Un plaisir. Fred, you, uh, you've gone to Paris for decades, and uh, you still enjoy it. What's some dimension of Paris that just never gets old for you? Well, the fact that every day is discovery. I lived there for a while as a student, and I go there frequently, and I've been to all the famous sites, the Eiffel Tower, the Arc de Triomphe, the Louvre, and so on. But it is a large, though compact, cosmopolitan city, and I'm a New Yorker, and I don't know how to drive. That's been a lifestyle choice for me because I don't want to impact the environment with a car, but also because being out and walking, I meet people. I learn things. And in Paris, someone who walks about is known as a flaneur. And I learned long ago that I can be a flaneur in Paris, making discoveries every day. Paris is divided into 20 districts. They're called arrondissements. And the lower numbers, like 1, 2, 3, are right in the center. But the larger numbers, 13, 14, 15, 18, and so on, are the outer districts of the city. So what I like to do is, say, get on a train or a bus and go to an outer arrondissement, get off, and just walk. Hmm. And recently I did that in Paris in three different districts. And what did you discover? Well, for example, the 13th, which is in the southeast corner of the city the edge of Paris, was a district that in the past had warehouses for food and products and so on, but they recently opened the Francois Mitterrand Library. It's a gorgeous building, and around that have sprung up shops where local people go, cafes, new libraries for children, a school of journalism, mm -hmm. all kinds of things where there are only Parisians. 
Plus, they took existing buildings, for example, the flour mills of the 19th century, are now gorgeous conference centers and so on. And when the Parisians extend their city out to the borders, it means that people don't necessarily have to congregate near mm -hmm. the Arc de Triomphe or the Opera right in the middle of the city. And it means that the Parisians use their city better. Parisians are great because they have wonderful public transport. So for two euros, you can get from the city center to the 13th in about 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. I loved wandering around, listening to students, noticing that in our era, when bookshops are closing because people buy books on the Internet, new bookshops opened in this neighborhood near the library. It's a district where publishing has moved. And frankly, had I not gone there as a flaneur, I would never have known this part of Paris. To see people sitting at tables reading books, not looking at tablets or smartphones, was a revelation to me, and I felt I could associate with these people. And it's a thing we would never know if we just stayed right around the Galerie Lafayette, for example. I was just in Paris a few months ago, and I remember one morning I was sort of on my agenda. I had to go see the new Picasso Gallery, the museum that had just reopened after being closed for a long time. And I calculated I could take the metro there or I could take a taxi. It wasn't a convenient connection. And then I thought, you know, it'd just be 15, 20 more minutes if I walk. And it turned out to be the highlight of my day. And it wasn't even an on-tourist area like you're talking about, but it was out in the neighborhoods anyways, because Paris is a collection of neighborhoods. And so many times I just stopped and I took a moment and I marveled at the scene, the community, the fabric of, of life there, the hardworking little shops, uh, look above the crowds and appreciate the architecture that is so often neglected, listen to the giggle of the children on the carousel, uh, think of the old man that's uh, uh, walking his dog as he does every morning. And the scene was just enchanting. I just was reminded that's a huge part of your experience in any great city, but especially in Paris. Yes. On another day, I went to the Ninth. Now, the Ninth is really pretty central. It's just above the Grand Boulevards where the department stores and the old opera house are. But it's a neighborhood of working-class people. At the northern end is Pigalle, the Folie Berger, and all of that. But what it also has, it has a street that I had heard about but never seen, Rue des Martyrs, the Martyrs Street, mm. which is maybe the best food street I've ever been on in Paris because it's strictly local. It's not a famous market. It's not a department store. It's not La Grande Pisserie that has mm -hmm. $20 bottles of nectarine juice. Mm -hmm. But rather, it was a street where real people go. Mm -hmm. And one of the rotisseries there had chicken and duck and so on that was delicious. I remember the address number 22 had the best croissant that I've ever tasted in Paris. Mm. And so next time I'm in Paris, it's right back to number 22 Rue des Martyrs. Just up the street was a shop, it was a sliver of a shop, where they had a few chocolates and it was cold weather. So you can get hot chocolate for three euros in a little cup, five euros in a bigger cup. Everywhere you looked, there was food activity going on. People were cleaning oysters. People were pairing vegetables in such a way to get rid of the spoiled leaves and just sell the pretty parts. Everything was going on. It was people who were deeply invested in what they sell, but without a cognizance that someone was looking at them and learning and being fascinated because they were all Parisians. And just nearby, 
was a street called Notre Dame de Lorette. And there were two shops there, but especially one at number 51 was a young couple, very smiling couple. In the front were carefully selected cheeses, not too many. But in the back were four tables. And I said, why tables? And they said, well, we cook with our cheese and we have a limited menu. I had the best croque monsieur, which is ham and cheese sandwich grilled that I've ever had. And they had a Jerusalem artichoke soup with Cantal cheese. And I didn't spend much, had a little glass of wine and a cup of coffee. And one of the best meals I've ever had in Paris in the back of a cheese shop in a neighborhood where tourists don't go. Isn't that something? That's an inspiration right there to get out there and not only explore, but but take with you a little understanding of the cultural context. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with gastronome, cultural maven, and pleasure activist Fred Plotkin. And we are exploring Paris in a flaneur kind of way. That means wandering with a free spirit and an appreciation for the intimate details that are just everywhere you look in a great cultural capital like Paris. You know, you're a lifelong student of, of different cultures and so on, so you'll know a little bit of, of what you're looking for and, and be able to understand better what you're seeing. But I think any traveler should remember that if you can bone up on things a little bit in advance, know the context, know what you're looking for, and then have that adventurous spirit where you can actually venture into the back of that cheese shop and, and sit down and get to know the people and, and uh, sample the menu, there's a lifetime of travel experiences awaiting anybody with taking that approach into Paris. And often it's just a matter of paying a little more attention. The fact that I walked into the shop drawn by the cheese but then saw four tables, Mm -hmm. I asked what the tables are for. Other people may have just walked out. Mm -hmm. But my asking led to them smiling and having me sit down and telling me their limited menu. I discovered an element of a neighborhood and of people who live there who probably knew that there's this wonderful soup and this wonderful cheese sandwich and that what better way to have a nice, typical French lunch? This is sort of a challenge in a lot of Europe and a lot of the world is with, with tourism and with affluence. A lot of the characteristic, uh, you know, small little cafes and shops are being driven out by big chain stores and, and boutiques and, and fancy places. Sort of a sad uh, result of uh, these, this new affluence in Barcelona, the, the Ramblas, which used to be a great place to stroll has lost its character now because uh, the local people no longer go to the the great market on the Ramblas because it's been taken over by tourists. So it's important, uh, as you're talking about, Fred, to walk away from the tourist zones and and find these, in the case of Paris, these districts or arrondissements that are not, you know, built and designed around tourism. But that's also the magic of public transport, Mm -hmm. that if you get a, a day card for a city, get on whatever bus you see and ride it until you see something you want to look at, Mm -hmm. and then get off, and then get on another bus and go elsewhere. You don't have to have a checklist of destinations, but what you want to do is come home with memories that are unique to you, and the way to do that is to not go where everybody else is going. And be a little bit of an extrovert. If you see a a gang of retired men playing petanque, They'd love it if an American tourist stumbled up to them and say, um, you know, excusez-moi, <laughs> bonjour, what you doing? And then they'd teach how to play petanque, and it's a memory for them, and it's a memory for you. But always try to give them something in return. I don't mean money. Give them emotional memory. Yeah. I was on a flaneur trip the other day, and, and I went to the 13th, and I went into a shop, and I wound up buying a jacket there. 
And the salesman was very friendly, and he had recently been to my hometown of New York, and I asked him about it, and I chided him for only eating fast food in my beautiful food city. (laughs) And we developed a bond in 10 minutes that's not the same as a transaction. And as I was leaving, he stopped me and he said, I'd like to give you a gift, and he gave me a tie to go with my new jacket. He said, I want you to remember that people in Paris think of Americans well. And he said that if all my clients were like you, I would never take a vacation. Now, that's a lovely compliment. But I realized that by extending kindness and listening to someone else, rather than just coming in with my own agenda, Mm -hmm. you make a friend and you make people happier. And that's what travel and human relations are about. Man, you just summed it up there. This is uh, Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking with Fred Plotkin, talking about flaneur, strolling, aimlessly wandering to be uh, what Fred calls a pleasure activist. Fred, thanks so much for um, inspiring us to really get intimate with a great and very human city, Paris. Thank you, Rick. Up next, a longtime Parisian explains that what sometimes looks like rude behavior in Paris really is. And then we're off to the countryside of the Alsatian borderlands. We're at 877-333-7425 on Travel with Rick Steves. I'd like to take a few minutes to explore how, at the same time Americans can think the French are rude, how the French can think Americans are rude. It's an amazing misunderstanding. Here's an example. Working with my French friend and tour guide, Arnaud Sauvignon, I was making a TV show in Paris. Perfect strangers interrupted me. They said, hey, Rick. And they treated Arnaud like he was invisible. Arnaud was clearly put off by them, thinking they were so rude, not respecting me by just interrupting me and calling me by my first name when they didn't even know me, and ignoring him. And they were thinking he was rude because of his response at my defense to them. It's a classic misunderstanding when no one's being rude and everyone thinks everybody's rude. Arnaud joins us now to talk about how we can better understand the French. Arnaud, do you remember that incident when we were working on the TV? Oh, I do, yes. What was it like? I mean, to explain it from your point of view. Uh, Well, yes, I was literally invisible. So uh, I felt like I wasn't there, and this person basically almost moved me to get to you. So uh, at least a little word, uh, excuse me, or uh, hello, something. And then there's something that the French uh, honor, which is like, don't interrupt people if you're not introduced, don't call them by their first name and so on. Yeah, that's true. And well, if, if you really want to interrupt, then, you know, you just say, excuse me, bonjour. Uh, it's very important in French. You know, we have a very formal language. So um, if you do not do the things properly, you have no chance. So, so there's a formality. And in America, we're almost proud of not having the formality, I think. Yeah, we are proud to do the different. To have the formality. Yeah, to have the formality. So there's a basic politeness there on both sides. But uh, in France, you have the that tradition, I think. Uh, the word faux pas is a French term. Faux, faux pas, pas, yes. And it's, it's a wrong a, step. Wrong step, literally. Huh? Yeah, wrong step. And it's a French term that Americans know because uh, we can take a wrong step accidentally and there's a lot of wrong steps we can take while it's we're in France. It's very easy, yeah, yeah. Anywhere in the world, in different countries, it's very easy to do wrong steps if you don't oh, yeah. know. So what are some classic wrong steps or faux pas Americans can take while we're in France? Well, I'll give you an example which happened to me on Rue Claire a few years ago. Uh, I was actually rushing because I was meeting some customers. I was really, you know, you know, fast, fast walking. And I passed three American ladies you know, really passed. And then I heard, where can I get a taxi? And I thought, no, 
it cannot possible that they are actually addressing to me. But, you know, very curious. So uh, while rushing, I just turned back and they were just the three of them staring at me. I said, my God, they are talking to me. So I stopped. I walked back and I said, number one, bonjour. They were petrified. Number two, do not assume everyone speaks English here. And number three, taxi, just check down the street and you'll find it. <laughs> Meaning, just go away. They were petrified. But I felt it was so rude that I had to be rude back. Just to give them a lesson. That's my crusade, you know. <laughs> That's your crusade. Have so, some decency. And I'm sure those poor ladies went back to America, you know, with this idea that, oh my God, the yeah. French are so rude. But they could have said, excusez-moi, parlez-vous yeah, anglais? Just, excusez-moi, bonjour. Bonjour. That was it. Just that. That would I have made have a difference. I would have been as nice as, as I could have been. Americans are also sometimes making faux pas about how they dress. What are some other examples how that you dress? would notice? Oh. When wow. you're in Paris, do you, what do you notice when you, when you think... Eh. What I think is, it's all about the language barrier. Yeah. So people who don't speak a language have a tendency to just panic. They think they have to come out with a word right away. So, you know, they, they arrive and they want to have the bill, for example. And so they're thinking in, in English, what could they say? And it doesn't come out in French. So then, like, the bill, they just throw out this word without a, excusez-moi, s'il vous plaît. They don't do it on purpose, but... No, no, are the Parisians different than French in general in this regard? Would you say uh, there's a distinction, or is this a French uh, situation, or a Parisian? I think it's French, but, well, the Parisians tend to be rude, actually, uh, with uh, the other French. Various people are not really highly regarded by the others, you know, in in France. I mean, if you're driving, for example, with a uh, Paris plate number behind you, uh, you're squashed. (laughs) I was in the south of France one day, you know, driving with that number behind. So they can tell, in France, they can tell where you're from by yeah, your you, license plate. You have plate. a little number, you know, which is very small, they can very see small, it. Can see go, it. That's a Parisian. Okay. And, and that guy behind just made all his best to actually overpass me, taking risks, so just she, to say I beat it up, you know, a Parisian. Arnaud Servignat is our guide right now to the misunderstood Parisian on Travel with Rick Steves. Arnaud's an expert in French history and art. Information about his walking tours of Paris and his minivan tours of nearby attractions is at french-guide.com. Laura joins us now on the phone at 877-333-RICK from Wisconsin. Hello, Laura. Hello. Bonjour. Bonjour. Bonjour, bonjour. (laughs) Uh, Well, all my life growing up, I had always heard that the French were very rude, especially in Paris. (laughs) And in 1987, my mom and I were going over to Europe and we were going to spend a month there. And she had said I could choose everywhere we went, but she had to go to Paris because that had always been her dream. And I, I kind of went reluctantly because of everything I'd heard. And I just had such wonderful experiences. I remember being, you know, when we had first gotten there, being in the metro and studying my, my map to make sure that we were going to our hostel in the right way. And this French man came up, and he didn't speak a word of English, and I didn't speak any French, but he made sure that he wasn't going to leave me until he knew that I knew where I was going. That happens all the time. And, oh, it just it, mm. that right there just set a wonderful feeling for the city and for the people. You know, myself in Paris, when I see lost people, especially when they're Americans, I have to say, I stop and I always propose them, you know, for some help. 
Yeah, we are just nice, you know, uh, naturally. But if we are dressed with a rude way, then we are rude back. <laughs> That's the way it is. <laughs> Laura, what is uh, something you learned from experience that helped you connect with the French people and better understand them? Well, I think to try to use the little bit of French that I know. So not just to assume that everybody should know English. I've been to Paris two other times since then. Every time we entered any place, we said bonjour mm -hmm. to make some kind of effort. And I think we should remember that the French people love their language. It's a beautiful language. Oh, it is. You can say anything in French, and it sounds beautiful. Or an American <laughs> can say anything in French, and it probably oh. sounds horrible to the ears of a French person. <laughs> Laura, thanks for your call. Oh, thank, thank you, Laura. Thank you so much. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir. Carrie's on the line in Portland, Oregon. Thanks, Carrie, for your call. Bonjour, Rick. Bonjour, Arnaud. Bonjour, Carrie. I have a quick story about a shopping faux pas that I committed in Paris. Uh -huh. So I guess my wife and I were a little rude. A few years ago, we were at a magazine store on the Rue, Rue Claire, and we were trying to buy some magazines for gifts, and we couldn't decide, and we must have stood there for a half an hour going through all the magazines, at least the ones with pretty pictures. Huh. And after a while, we heard the owner tell the cashier in French, but we knew enough French to understand what he was saying. He said, do they think this is a library? Maybe they want me to bring them some chairs. Ah, so yes. Ah, yes. Our, That's difficult. We understood that. We, we appreciated the, the sarcasm, and we had a good laugh. We bought huh. several magazines, thanked them profusely, both of them in French, and we learned a shopping lesson. I guess where it's not polite to yeah, be it's handling not polite. Yes, I mean, don't take it personal. Um, <laughs> I suppose a French as, person would get the same treatment. As a treatment. French person, you would have the very same treatment, absolutely. The people don't have their tongue in their pocket, so uh, they speak out loud what they think. <laughs> they don't have their yeah. tongue in their pocket. Whether you like it or not, that's the way They'll it is. speak their mind. Yeah. Well, you can understand a small you shopkeeper. You have to be ready for that. You know, you you know a ready. small shopkeeper, he, doesn't, yeah. he probably has people reading his magazines without buying them all day long. Absolutely. I think, uh, Carrie, one thing we need to remember is, especially when we're traveling in Paris, in the summer, it's hot, it's sweaty, it's crowded. People who can afford it get out of town. Mm -hmm. Those who are left have to deal with all the tourists that invade in the summer. So these are the, the people who can't get out of Paris for the heat of the summer and the crowds of the tourist season. And all day long, they're dealing with tourists that don't speak the language, that don't understand yeah, the, that's true. The, the, the fine points of the culture. And they're the last ones that you should expect to have endless patience because they're pretty much the unlucky ones in yeah. a lot of cases. And we get so many tourists, I mean, of so many various nationalities. And that's probably one more reason just to find a place that doesn't have so much tourism. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Paris is a great city mm -hmm. and it's inundated with tourists. You go to Lyon, it's a, another great city. It doesn't yeah. have so many tourists. Mm -hmm. And I find a very warm Different. welcome, a particularly mm -hmm. warm welcome. And I would mention, if you're going to splurge for a meal, do it in a small town instead of mm. Paris, and you'll Absolutely. probably eat twice as, oh my twice God, as well. Yes. Really good for less oh, money. Oh, man, mm. yeah. Hey, Kerry, thanks for your call. Au revoir, mes amis. Au revoir, Kerry. Au revoir. Vous dansez, mademoiselle. We're exploring the myths, the realities, and the joys of Paris, as well as the occasional misunderstandings American visitors can encounter when they arrive with a different set of cultural norms. Parisian tour guide Arnaud Savignon is our guide, and Reagan's listening in from Blair in Nebraska. Bonjour. Bonjour, Reagan. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Very good. Merci. Fantastic. Do you have a comment for Arnaud? Oh, yes. We were in Paris. We had thought we would take a lovely midnight trip to the Eiffel Tower. And we got on the 
I think it was the RER, and headed yeah. down to the Eiffel Tower, seeing we were going to see it at midnight. We were at the Eiffel Tower. Mm-hmm. Uh, little did we know that they closed down shortly before midnight, and they kicked us out of the train station, and uh, <laughs> we had to find a taxi to the nearest bus station where we couldn't read the bus schedule because of um, you know, the language barrier. And this lovely, typical Parisian, her hair pulled back and dressed all in black, of course. Oh, she was elegant. beautiful. <laughs> she, yes, Black elegant, is elegant. Elegant, wonderful lady. She uh, spoke very little English, but helped to figure out the bus schedule. But she was absolutely wonderful, and we had actually started walking away, and she didn't speak enough English to call us back, but she whistled for us when the bus was coming. She started whistling and waving and, get back, get back. <laughs> Reagan, it looks like you're going to have a beautiful time next time you go to Paris. You have a good attitude. Thanks for your call. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Au revoir. Au revoir. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about understanding the French. Our phone number is 877-333-7425, and you can email us anytime at radio at ricksteves.com. Joan emailed us from Alta in Iowa, and Joan writes, This is a subject that really makes me agitated. Why do Americans go to Paris and expect Parisians to behave like Americans? The secret to getting along with Parisians is as simple as saying, Good day, please, thank you, and goodbye. All said in French, of course. Even if you just attempt to speak those words, the French will open up like flowers. Like flowers. You know, it seems almost too simple, but that's the crux of the matter. Absolutely. The simple, it, it boils down to respect, doesn't it? It is. Just, just take a moment before you say, I need this. Hello, merci. When I go to India, I say namaste. Mm-hmm. Uh, anywhere, it's so essential. It's the basic. Very, very important. Carolyn Winnipeg from Canada is calling. Hello, Canada. Hi. Uh, bonjour, bonsoir. Bonjour, bonjour. Um, I think that it's hard for the French, for the Parisians in particular, to live in a city that's such a tourist destination. So hey, I think it's true. hard to expect them to always be, you know, really friendly and really open the way that Americans are. Um, I'm a Canadian that speaks French, and I have done really well in Paris. I had a lady get right off the subway one time and take me to my correct subway stop and stand there and make sure I actually got on it. I even saw her looking back to make sure I really did go into the subway car. So I think people have lots of positive experiences, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but you need to greet them. And not even just bonjour, but in a store, bonjour madame, Mm -hmm. bonjour monsieur. Don't be touching all the merchandise Mm -hmm. without asking. Mm, That's true. Don't read the magazines if you're not going to buy them. Don't touch Uh, the the tomatoes and the strawberries if you're not going to buy them. Don't do that. Hey, Carol, I think I've been thinking about this for a long time, and... Paris is the most beautiful city you can imagine, and the people there love their city, and they're hosting the world, whether they like it or not. And I would imagine after a couple of decades, that can get old, and you can't be always polite all the time, and and we expect that. You're bound to run into the person who that day doesn't like it. You know, not only we have so many tourists... Okay, but I think we have to stop to have the uh, this glamorized idea that going to Paris is like going to the movie Midnight in Paris. No, this is a capital. We have 11 million people, you know, living there, all one on top of each other. So mm-hmm. when you go into the metro, I mean, they are rude to me. I, I'm rude back. I mean, if you go to New York, to Los Angeles, do you think people are going to be, you know, nice every single minute? No, because they have to work, they have to go, they have, you know, they have to stand like for an hour and a half in the, the subway to go home. They don't have time to be nice. And that, that little extra portion of civility goes a long way yeah, in a right. big, aggressive yeah. city like right. that. And I think that, I mean, Americans are well known for being friendly and informal, including with strangers. And 
I think that there are lots of Europeans, including the French, who don't really like that. Like, they're not friendly and informal with strangers. You're not going to run into that really friendly waitress. Does that come off as insincere, uh, no? if somebody is just smiley face and pats you on the back? No, and this, this, as a French person, can actually be disturbing because we're not used to this friendliness. And also, uh, when we go into a shop, we like to preserve our uh, little secret life, you know, little secret bubble and uh, like being an unknown. And so when I walk into a, rest, uh, a place and, and I hear all of a sudden, hi, can I help you? That is for me, intrusive. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not going there to, to talk to anyone. Mm-hmm. I'm going there to, to watch. And if the person is jumping on me, I find like, you know, I'm suffocating. Oh, gosh, 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 I have to, to buy something. Or if I don't buy, you know, uh, how would I be regarded? So, uh, yeah, it's a little intrusive as a French person. Uh, but that's my So that opinion. aggressive informality. Yes, yes. So there's a cultural difference we, there, we, right? We I need I to, yeah. to keep more distances, you know, because that's the way we are, basically. So French people have a, a personal space. There's a discretion. There's a formality, there's yes. a respect for... And I think yeah. there's a certain reserve towards strangers. Even if you're yes, in the are. entertainment or service hospitality industry, you know, it's like sometimes I feel like when I'm shopping in Canada, the United States, I almost want to say to the clerk, you know, I just want my groceries, like I don't want a relationship. You know, one day I was, I was shopping uh, in, a few years ago in, in the U.S., and I was going to the grocery store, and then this beautiful cashier, you know, just uh, told me, say, hey, uh, how are you today? And I, 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 really, I had a horrible day, so I, I was not in the mood to talk. I say, so hi, how are you today? I say, I'm just awful. I had a horrible night, you know, I just so had just nightmares. just shut up and do what I which need was to meaning, do. Yeah. yeah, shut up, and, and okay. she was crushed. You know, the last thing I wanted to mention, too, Rick, I think you have great advice in your book. It's very nicely put to North American travelers about also keeping their voices down. Oh, yes, that's so And important. particularly in places like museums and mm. restaurants. And mm-hmm. I've seen local people shush an American who then, mm. like, is unhappy. Is unhappy. Yeah, very unhappy, yes. And I've been in restaurants mm. in France where I, I finally, I get up and I walk over there and as sort of a friendly American, I just whisper, listen to yourself. There's 40 people in this restaurant and we're all listening to your conversation. No, but that's very difficult, you know, for Americans to do that because they are not used to it. They go to restaurants, they're huge as restaurants. The tables are double size on our tables. So whether you want to whisper or not, you don't have the choice. Basically, your partner is away yeah. from you. So you have to shout. And then you arrive to, to Europe where it's, you know, we have been living in a very um, close neighborhood, very close dense to each population. other. Very dense. Well, you have to whisper and that's the way we were born. Carol, thanks so much for your insights from Canada. Well, and thanks so much, Rick. Keep okay. up the good Thank work. Thank you. Happy travels. Both well. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Au revoir. I'm joined by Arnaud Servignon, and we're talking about fitting in with French culture. And a big part of that, Arnaud, when we're in France especially, is the whole joy of eating, eating out. It's a big part of our travel experience. When we eat in France, what are some of the differences that you notice between cultures? You're traveling around the United States right mm-hmm. now. Uh, what's, what's a challenge for you when you've got Americans visiting you in France? Well, first, when we eat, we take three times more the time that Americans are taking. Triple, so, really, literally triple. triple. Oh, yes, I don't triple. doubt it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's a social moment, so you're there for, for talking, for socializing, meeting your friends. It's, uh, it's going to be always around a table, a restaurant with a glass of wine, that's, that's for sure. So it's very important. It's so not we, like we eating. eat on the run. I guess uh, mm-hmm. fast service is bad service. In very France. bad, very bad. You have to yeah. take your time. You have to slow down your pace all the time, yes. How would you say thank you very, very, very much? Merci beaucoup. Merci beaucoup.
Merci infiniment. Infiniment, what is that exactly? Infinite. Infinite, thanks. Okay, I'll see you in Paris. <laughs> see you. There's more about our guests in this week's show notes at ricksteves.com slash radio. Now let's head out from the big city and drive east until you just about run out of France. We're exploring Alsace next on Travel with Rick Steves. For centuries, the Alsace region has stood as something of a referee between France and Germany. It's a delightfully scenic area between the Rhine River and the Vosges Mountains, one that incorporates the best of both German and French culture. Alsace was also the scene of some of the toughest fighting in the first two world wars, as the border between France and Germany swung back and forth. We're joined now on Travel with Rick Steves by three tour guides to France to take your calls at 877-333-7425 about visiting the Alsace. French-born Patrick Vidal and Virginie Moret are frequent guest experts on the show, and they're joined today by American-born Julie Sanvaux. Julie married a Frenchman and moved to Burgundy years ago to start her family, and she's made France her home ever since. Virginie, Patrick, Julie, bonjour. Bonjour. Great to be here. When you think about the regions or the departments of France, uh, Julie, what is how is France organized? It's organized by regions and then departments. Mm-hmm. The departments were put into place after the revolution to kind of disperse the power out through France, through the country. From every major little city, they went a couple of days on horseback in each cardinal direction and made a department. And then in the 60s, they made regions because they needed something between the departments in Paris. So they made the regions. So regions are kind of like states for us, uh-huh. and departments are kind of like counties. Okay. They used to have 22 regions, and now they've broken it down in the last year to 13. So we have a big administrative change going on in France right now. And Alsace is one of these? Alsace was its own region, mm-hmm. and now it's with Champagne-Ardennes. Mm-hmm. and um, Lorraine okay. to be the Grand Est or the Big East region. The Big East. The Big East. Is, huh? But uh, in the Big East, Alsace has its own character, I think you could definitely, say. Definitely. Definitely. It's unique. V- Virginie, how would you describe Alsace? Well, Alsace, as you mentioned, is really that border zone between Germany and France. So it has its own characteristic. Mm-hmm. And I think, as uh, Julie mentioned, we have you know several regions, so down to 13 administratively. Mm-hmm. But really, the, the characteristic of those regions are really, really different. So I come from Brittany originally, mm-hmm. opposite of Alsace. You know, Paris in the middle, you're very, very different. And that's what we call regionalism. And it covers different topics. It's the food, which is very different right. wherever you are in France, the language, uh, the different tradition, sometimes, uh, you know, linked to religion, uh, the way the architecture is so when you're in Alsace, it looks like you're having houses that could have been built, you know, the same way in Germany. And when you're 100 kilometers away, it looks very different. So when you're in Brittany, it'd be more Celtic related exactly. to what we think about in Britain. And when you're in Alsace, it's quite a bit more German. Patrick, when you're thinking about examples of how German Alsace is, what comes to mind? How is Alsace feeling German? Oh, Alsace is much more organized than French. Yeah. I mean, the French, that's definitely... Ah, okay. I mean, it's more Germanic. It's mm-hmm. the idea of... Yeah. Uh, it's more Germanic than Latin. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's got more organizations. It's squarer on a lot of things, and it's uh, it's cleaner in some ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, the houses are painted the way that the Germanic houses are painted more than uh, anywhere else in France. Stone color in mm-hmm. Germany, it's different colors. 
timber houses as well and uh, and plenty of things that makes you think of Germany more than, than France, really. How about the food when you think of the cuisine? Mm, uh, same idea as well. I mean, uh, food and wine, it's the same same kind of idea. You've got the, the wines from the uh, following the Rhine River, which are pretty close to the wines you're going to find on the other side of the That's of right, the because Rhine. the Rhine River is actually the border of Alsace. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Between I mean, the Black Forest area. Well, and geographically, I mean, the, the Rhine is a river running through a little valley, which mm -hmm. has got Alsace on one side, and it's got the Vosges Mountains in the French side, and mm -hmm. Black Forest on the other side. It's the same mountain cut by the Rhine in the middle. In that area in the middle, Alsace. Very rich, very uh, fertile fields. So, Julie, when well. you think as a traveler, and you're a tour guide, so you would know what people are concerned about, what they're interested in. When you think of the Alsace, what are the priorities? Uh, what are the key experiences you would have when you visit the Alsace? The fact that it's so different from all the other regions in France. It's very Germanic. It's very cute and quaint with the half-timbered houses and the colors that you don't usually find in France. France is more white and more cream-colored, and, and Alsace is very, very colorful. And the food, the chocoutre, which is sauerkraut, but it's really, really nice in Alsace because they soak it in Riesling wine, and so it's really, really smooth. So French. You take it's the so sauerkraut right. and you soak exactly, it in wine. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> in the Riesling wine, which is completely different than German Riesling wine. Their wines are very, they're organized differently and they're different than the wines in France and in Germany. So when I think of Alsace, I think of uh, the big city is Strasbourg and the charming small town that has so much art and character is Colmar. And that for me is my home base. And then you've got the Route du Vin, the wine road right. with all these, when you talk about charming little half-timbered colorful villages, mm. these are just so cute. They're almost edible. Yeah. Uh, let's think about these three different dimensions of Alsace. Virginie, when you think about Colmar, what do you think? What are the highlights of Colmar? Colmar is in between a big city, like you mentioned, Strasbourg, and one of those small villages. So you would find you know, enough attraction. It would be a good um, home base to explore the region by car. Uh -huh. And uh, you would have enough restaurants you know, for, obviously, uh, every day of your stay. You'll have different museums that you could be uh, you know, visiting when you're in Colmar, too. So it's a good base. It must have been an important city in its day because it has such amazing art treasures. I mean, there are world-class art treasures in, in Little Colmar. We have the... Winterlinden Museum. Winterlinden Museum. That they just redid, mm -hmm. and it is fabulous. It is so amazing. With one of my favorite pieces of art the in Isenheim Europe. The Isenheim, Isenheim Altarpiece. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. And then just a uh, hundred yards away, you've got the uh, Madonna of the Rose Bush. Is that what it's called? Schongauer. Yes. And, and it's and, just exquisite mm -hmm. Gothic art. It's amazing how much culture is in this what seems like would be a provincial town, but we have to remember centuries ago in Europe there was a lot of smaller states. And, so and on. it was very important, as we mentioned, the Rhine River is now the border between Germany and France. But for the Germans, the border, the natural border should have been the Vosges Mountain. Oh, so that's okay. why the border kept changing. We so didn't the Germans have the same... wanted to push closer to Paris, and that would be, and they think, okay, well, there is a France, but let's call the mountain range the logical border. The French wanted to have more of a buffer, so they said the Rhine River should be the border. And the area between the Rhine River and the Vosges Mountains would be historically Alsace. And depending on who's stronger and who's got the momentum, it flip-flops back and forth. highly disputed, exactly. And right now it's pretty solidly in the French It's court. been French since, you know, the end of World War I. And uh -huh. then when, at the beginning of the World War II, this is the part that Hitler annexed first. Ah. Uh, but since World War II, it's so, completely French. So, so with a greater German frame of mind, you could make the case that Alsace should be German, I suppose. 
But I won't ask you yeah, to agree no. to that. This is Travel <laughs> with Rick Steves. We're talking with Virginie Moret, Patrick Vidal. They're both native-born French tour guides. And Julie Sanvo joins us, who's an American from Kansas who married into France. She's been raising her family in Burgundy over the years. And uh, they specialize in showing American visitors the best of what France has to offer. And right now we're talking about the attractions of the Alsace region just over the border from Germany. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And William's calling from Miami. William, thanks for your call. Hi. About three years ago, I took a trip to that region because I was passing through uh, Alsace on my way to Germany. Of course, I was going to stop in Strasbourg to see the cathedral, but I, I signed a book a night in Colmar there because I wanted to see the Azanaim altarpiece. And I was just amazed at how, how strikingly beautiful Colmar is with the half-timbered houses there, especially that uh, little Venice area there, which has some really great restaurants and everything mm. like that. It's just, a, it's just a precious little village. Even the train station's great with that weird window there with that women tied to the tracks that the artists put together there. So you're talking about in uh, Colmar, the little charming district called Little Venice, or in French, Petite Venice, right? Mm-hmm. And it's yes, just, and what, it's got you, wonderful restaurants there. I got a good dish, dish of spetzel there, actually. That would be a German dish uh, that yes. is the French culture of uh, the French version of the German uh, pasta, mm-hmm. and that would be delightful in that part of France. And William, when you're talking about the charming half-timbered buildings and so on, I was just there working on our guidebook, and I was in Strasbourg. That's the like the giant city, and Colmar, which is the characteristic smaller city, and then a number of the little towns, and they're like all little cousins. I mean, there's the big, huge one, and there's the middle-sized one, and there's mm-hmm. the little ones, but they all have the same elements. It mm-hmm. seems like you've got great churches, you've got beautiful half-timbered Germanic kind of vernacular architecture, mm-hmm. and you've got the medieval vestiges of walls and moats and power mm-hmm. and so on. Uh, and great wine. Yes, yes great wine. Especially lovely, if you like white wine. Pinot Gris. Oh. <laughs> now, when we think about the wine in this area, in Alsace, it's different, isn't it, uh, Patrick, than the rest of France and what, how they name the wines? Yeah, I mean, in, in Alsace, they're going to name the wine like you do in the States by the grapes, when uh, the rest of France will name the wine by where the wine is coming from, from the field, from the village, from the area. But in Alsace, it's named after the after the grapes. Oh, okay, so you wouldn't have an Igusheim or a Colmar wine. You would have a Gewürztraminer. Absolutely, or yeah, named after the, the so grapes. So, what are the wines that are famous in Alsace? The Pinot Gris, as uh, as uh, we were mentioning before, yeah. and uh, the uh, Gewürztraminer, the Riesling, the uh, Edelsweiger. There's plenty of different ones that that are very very specific to the area that you don't find anywhere else. Of course, you can't call it Champagne because that's a Ooh, little different part the of France. Cremant. Do you have the Cremant? Cremant. So you can be drinking Cremant and think you're drinking champagne because it's the same method, right? Same idea. People did some blind test of uh, of Cremants and champagne and didn't see the difference between the two. I mean, that, uh, is that right? Yeah, find the Cremant better than the champagne. And you know, the the wine tasting experience is so easy in these little towns. You just go to the little town, William, and there's a number of these towns on on what I mentioned earlier, the Route du Vin, the wine road. And you step up, and they all got their degustation signs out where they want you to come in and taste. And there's people at the bar eager to let you sample four or five different wines. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a delightful experience, and it, it gets progressively more and more fun. Now, there is a little trick about that that usually North Americans don't know about. The French, when they travel, and 75% of the French, when they travel, they stay in France. They don't go to other countries in Europe. Uh-huh. And they have to have wine shopping as part of their traveling. And they will buy something. And so 
you want to make sure that if you're oh. trying four or five different wines, you maybe buy you bottle. buy a bottle. It's not. It costs like 10 euro max. That's a very good yeah. reminder because uh, in France, you're doing a road trip and you buy a few bottles and you bring it home, of course. Mm-hmm. And it's not very expensive and it's just good style. Before I go, I want to mention that uh, three years ago when I, when I did visit there, the uh, museum where the Isenheim altarpiece that was being renovated. Mm-hmm. But I found out they had oh. moved the collection to the Dominican church and there, so I was able yeah. to see it. But <laughs> Well, I was just there, <laughs> I William. I guess they reopened it. William, it's open, it's better than ever, and the Isenheim altarpiece is just glorious. They it have is, some wonderful it's pieces glorious. in it. Oh, it is. It is. Yeah. It's, after the Ghent altarpiece, it's probably the best work of art I've ever seen. Okay, at least as good as the Ghent altarpiece. I agree. Those are both exquisite pieces of medieval art. William, thanks for your call. Thank you very much. We're celebrating Bastille Day in the Alsace region of eastern France right now on Travel with Rick Steves with tour guides Julie Sanvo, Patrick Fidal, and Virginie Moray. Our phone number is 877-333-7425, and Eric's calling from New Haven in Connecticut. Hi, Eric. Hey, Rick. Uh, how are you? Doing uh, good. Do you have a question about the Alsace? I do. I've, I've spent quite a lot of time in France, and I've been to the north, the west, the central part, and the south but I really never spent a lot of time on the East. We spent one day in Strasbourg, and I had a choucroute, and that was delicious, but that's the extent of it. And I was hoping to spend maybe seven to ten days there in September, and I was looking for some advice on uh, base camp, and then besides Colmar and maybe Strasbourg, some other ideas of, of what to do and, and how to spend my time in the region. Julie, what do you think about a strategy for Eric, who's got about a week or 10 days for Alsace? If you want to stay just in Alsace, there's the Route de Vin, which is the wine road that we talked about that you can go from village to village. It's about 100 miles long and about 100 villages. All the quaint little villages there, wine tastings. There's the area where they reintroduce the storks to the region. Well, you see storks everywhere. They're the huge storks nest on top of You do of them. see these giant yep. stork nests bounced huge, on top yeah. of spires and mm-hmm. so on. In the 70s, they realized that that was their pattern to come back oh, there, okay. but they were they were losing them. And so they actually cut the wings of some of them. And now, today, they're all free to migrate as they would have before because they've repopulated the stork population up there. And you mentioned 100 villages and 100 miles. You can bike from village to village. And that's what I was going to say, too. Then Wonderful. you can do some biking, yes. There's a lot of, I think they're like service roads where you shouldn't be driving, but if you have a bicycle, you're welcome to use Through that. the vineyards. Is it better to have a car, train, or maybe bike now? What would be the recommendation? I'm not opposed to getting a car, but if we can avoid that, it'd, it'd be nice. If you want to go to the small villages, then I would say, you know, you do need to have a car because... Many of the villages are in the valley, but some of them are starting to go on yeah. at the hills. And public so, uh, transportation is very frustrating. Yes, I mean, the locals use it, but it's hard for tourists to actually use it. On so, the other hand, I took the train from Colmar to Strasbourg, and that's going every hour, and it takes less than an hour. Yes, and right. it's, you would not want to drive to Strasbourg. I had a rental car, but I just took the train from Colmar to, to Colmar, Strasbourg, yeah. and that was easy. So make your headquarters, Eric, in uh, Colmar. I think that's the cute small town. But I would spend a, a long day in Strasbourg, and then use your car to explore all the villages. You can very easily cut across the river and check out some of the Black Forest in Germany if you mm-hmm. wanted to. And there's some wonderful, are, are there some very powerful um, World War II or World War One sites? There's memorials that you can see. Right, in, in, uh, I saw World War II cemetery, a German cemetery outside of um, Kaisersburg that was quite powerful, just mm-hmm. hiding. And there's one up called Bloody Hill up by Kaisersburg, too. Because the World mm-hmm. War is just swept right through that right region through between mm-hmm. France mm-hmm. and Germany. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in 
a lot of war history there. Horrific wars of the 20th century. Patrick, any more ideas for exploring uh, Alsace? For, uh, oh, we've talked about Kaisersberg. It's just been elected the favorite village of the f- of true. the French. Kaisersberg. Yes. Uh, every every year there's a contest uh, on TV about okay. about the favorite village of the French people. So Albert uh, Schweitzer y- was a smart young man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He chose to live there. Albert the year, Schweitzer. The year before was a little village close to where I live in Brittany, and uh, this year has been Kaisersberg. Okay. And there was a big celebration in Kaisersberg when they found nice. that. I mean, when we're talking about staying a long time in Alsace, I think that four or five days in Colmar and two or three days in Strasbourg would work pretty well. Yes, Stra- and, then, and then navigate around. As a, uh, and Strasbourg uh, is an important city. I mean, there's it, a lot of things to see. About. You know, it and just occurred to me this year the name Strasbourg. It's like crossroads. Yes, it's the city of streets. Oh, the streets, yeah. And this is the, the crossroads of. If you think of Europe as Germany and France and everybody else, this is the crossroads between the Germanic and the Romantic world. And Strasbourg is pretty much on the border as well. Yep. I mean, you can almost walk outside of Strasbourg to get to Germany. And mm-hmm. uh, when Across when the, uh, the EU was getting uh, envisioned. I, th- I believe Churchill recommended that Strasbourg so, be one of the administrative headquarters yeah. of the EU. And it is. And they've it got, is. They've got some Brussels in Strasbourg. Yeah. So exactly. there's a good reason that Strasbourg is a key administrative capital, along with Brussels, of the European Union. And maybe the last thing is uh, time to travel there. Is uh, I mean, there's plenty of time around the year, but yeah. going there around Christmas before Christmas is just unbelievable ah. because that's the only place in France when you've got proper Christmas markets. A proper German-style Christmas yes, exactly. market. Yeah, yeah, a German, exactly. If you like a German yeah, yeah. Christmas market, yeah. but you want a little bit of French style, Strasbourg. Yeah. Eric, thanks for your hey. call. Thanks a lot. This has been so much fun talking about Alsace with my three French friends and tour guides, Virginie Moret, Patrick Vidal, and Julie Sanvo. If we can just cap this discussion with a little bit of cuisine, what would you be sure to introduce your American friend to if you were showing them around Alsace? Either part of the meal or part of the dessert or part of what you might want to drink. Well, maybe they would want to have something very simple that you can eat, you know, just almost on the street. So very American way. Uh, it looks like a pizza and it's the tarte alsacienne, like a pizza dough on which you have cream, onions and bacon strips. Well, I like the chocoutre, and you have to try it because everybody's afraid of it when they look at it, and then when they get a good one, they love the it. Because the is really like a hunter's pile of just sauerkraut, feels like sauerkraut, sauerkraut and sausages. With and, the good sausages. And mm-hmm. beautiful sausages. Mm-hmm. And lots of Riesling wine with it. You'll almost say Dunkashane after mm. that, <laughs> <laughs> but with a nice French wine. <laughs> Patrick. Well, I'd like to add another very hearty dish, which is called Backhofer. It's a mixture of three different meats, and it's got potatoes and some vegetables. And the story behind that Beckhofer, it's that it was cooked in the oven of the baker on the way to the church in the, uh, on the Sunday morning. But every, every family will bring their dish to the oven of the baker oh. after he's cooked the bread. And on the way down, he would just cook down the, the dish, and people would come out of the mass and, and get their dish back home. Ah, and so you the, drop it by the baker yeah. and it's cooked while you're at church yeah. and then yeah. you take it home for your Sunday yeah. Uh, supper. Yeah, that was the idea. And today you can find that in the beautiful restaurants? Absolutely. All and they, over they very often will serve that to you, uh, family style. You know, they bring the, the big dish on the table and serve you. On the the name of that again? Bake Well, Virginie, Patrick, and Julie, merci bien for merci. a better understanding merci. of Alsace. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir. A bientôt. Et dans l'air pur que le soleil en flamme, Tout 
Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Rick Steves Europe in Edmonds, Washington by Tim Tatton and Isaac Kaplan-Wilner with Sarah McCormick. Thanks to our colleagues at the Radio Foundation in New York City for their help this week. We get promotional support from Sheila Gerzoff. You'll find more at ricksteves.com radio. Rick Steves has spent a third of his adult life in Europe researching and writing guidebooks. And Rick Steves' best-selling country, city, and pocket guidebooks cover every corner of Europe. At Rick Steves' online travel store, you'll also find Rick's French phrasebook, plus guidebooks for France, Paris, Provence, and the Riviera. You'll find more in the travel store at ricksteves.com.